Let's say that there's three people that are about to board an airplane. One is a rich business executive, riding in business class, who spent the wait in the airport in the luxurious lounge reserved for the elite passengers. One is a missionary who's already been on a long trip, riding in coach class, who just spent the last six hours in an overcrowded airport terminal. And then the last person is a famous celebrity riding in first class who got to board first on that special little red carpet that the regular people don't get to walk on. With just those details, who would you rather be? Just that bare information. Let's say that the plane now takes off and you're across the Atlantic. The plane crashes. All three men are now ushered into eternity and are standing before the judgment seat of Christ. Now which man would you rather be? The way that we view eternity greatly shifts the way that we view our possessions and our money here in this life. Tonight we're going to look at Christ's exhortation to view our wealth with an eternal rather than merely an earthly perspective. Join with me as I read Luke chapter 12, starting on verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, being Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And Christ said to them, Take care and be on guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns, and I will build larger ones. And there I will store all my grains and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Amen. Tonight we're going to consider two points that come from this particular text. The first is that it is folly to trust in the riches of this world. And the second is that it is wise to lay up treasures in heaven. It is folly to trust in the riches of this world, but it is wise to lay up riches in heaven. So first, that it is folly to trust in the riches of this world. Notice how Christ first handles the question when the man in the crowd gets up and asks to have him decide the question of the inheritance. Christ knew all things. Christ clearly was an expert in the Levitical law. He could have easily decided this dispute for the man and his brother right then and right there. But he doesn't. Rather, he changes the direction of the conversation immediately, and he says, a man who made me judge or arbitrator over you. Christ is going after a broader point. And while we don't know the specific details of the specific case for this man, Christ clearly knew that this man was coveting and lusting after something which was not his. And that's evident by what he says next, because he says, take care and be on guard against all covetousness or lusting after that which is not yours. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. After the teaching, which does seem fairly straightforward, he gives us a parable that expounds on this teaching and helps drive it home. At first blush, after reading the story, 
it might seem that the rich man wasn't really off that far in his plan. He had stuff, and he needed a plan to store his stuff. What's wrong with building larger barns? So I think when looking at this story, one of the first things that we need to notice is the use of the personal pronouns that run throughout the entire parable. There's a repeated reference from the rich man where he says that, that I will do this. He will build my barns. I will store my grain and my goods. Nowhere is there any reference for the fact that these goods and these possessions come from God alone. With this, flight, with this fatal assumption that the rich man has made, I think that there are several things that result in the folly that Christ talks about. So, for example, the pursuit of folly in and of itself by the rich man was foolish. 1 Timothy 6.9 says that those that desire to be rich fall into a temptation, into a snare with many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. It was folly for the rich man to assume that his crops could succeed absent God's protection. Jeremiah 5.22 says that it is the Lord our God who gives autumn and spring rains in the season, who assures us of regular weeks of harvest. It was folly for the rich man to assume that ample goods would bring happiness. Ecclesiastes chapter 2 tells us that the pursuit of material pleasures is nothing but vanity and striving after the wind. It was folly for the rich man to think that he was the one that controlled his good fortune. James 1.17 reminds us that every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights, with whom there is no shifting shadow. And most profoundly, it was folly for the rich man to think that the goods of this life could be carried into next and have an impact on eternity. Mark 8.36 reminds us, For what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his soul? This isn't to say that material possessions in of themselves are completely bad, because they're not. In a way, you could say that material possessions are like a magnet. They're either, the way that we use them is either pushing us and pulling us in one direction or another. It's either pushing us back towards earth, and it's pulling us back towards the the things that we can put our hands on. It's feeding the covetousness and the desires of our hearts that says that the immediacy of the now is what we should live for that this is all that there is. But turn towards God, they can actually push us towards him when used for his purposes and for his kingdom. They can serve us, and they can serve towards God's purposes and help us to be rich towards our heavenly father. Material possessions might be neutral, but the way that we use them never is. What Christ saw in the man in the crowd, in the rich man, and what he sees in our hearts is a pervasive tendency, a natural rhythm to covet the things of this life, to fritter our life away planning vacations, stocking up greater 401ks, chasing the latest iPhone or newest technology, buying a bigger house or a newer car, looking for jobs that pay more, keeping up with the neighbors, assuming the latest fashion statements. Friends, we live in a materialistic, in a hedonistic culture, that has bought the lie that the rich man in the parable that Christ told, hook, line, and sinker. This is the air that we breathe. It's poisonous, and it's destructive to our souls. Friends, if if it's folly to trust in the goods of this world, then Christ would remind us that it is wise to lay up riches in heaven. The sobering way that Christ ends the parable is by calling the rich man a fool, 
And he says that this night, your soul is required of you. And the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one that lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. The question then becomes for us, how then am I to be rich towards God? Well, Christ gives us the answer back in verse 15, at least part of the answer. He tells us that we're to guard ourselves against covetousness. Guard ourselves against covetousness. Christ isn't about to give the man in the crowd a plan to get more stuff. Rather, he's after a deeper, more fundamental need that the man has. He's giving him a plan to rescue his soul from destruction. And that plan involves loving stuff less and loving Christ more. One of the ways that I think that you can see the relationship between Christ and our stuff is to think about the hands that we use to hold on to the things that we have. So hands that hold on to things that God has given us and hold on tightly don't often easily let go and let Christ take those things that he's given us. Hands that are holding tightly on to the things that we have now, our possessions, aren't easily open to receive the better things that God wants for us. In some ways, it's, it's even more profound than that, though, because hands that are closed tightly on this world's goods can't easily reach out and be cleansed by the blood that flows from the nail-scarred hands of our Savior. Hands that are grasping tightly to the things of this life can't reach out and feel the side that was pierced for us. Hands that are clutching at material wealth can't reach down and wash the feet that were crushed for you. And hands that are holding on to possessions can't cling to and kiss the bloodied head which wore a crown of thorns on your behalf. Friends, when our hearts and our hands are so filled with the things of this life, Christ, his purposes, and his kingdom is pushed to the exterior. And like the rich man, we begin to fill our life with personal pronouns. These are my things. These are my possessions. This is my plan for success. And at the end, we tell ourselves delusionally and without any basis in reality that this will make me happy. But friends, that's not true. Christ knows that the only thing that will make us happy in eternity is himself. Christ is the great treasure that we can take past the grave and into life to come. He is the great good that will never rot and will never fade and will never pass away. The call of Christ is to not cling to the things that are not worthy, but rather to let those go and to cling to the thing that is most worthy, and that's Christ himself. If you want to guard yourself from coveting, then let go of the things of this life and cling to Christ. Well, what does that look like practically? What does it mean to stop coveting and to put your trust in Christ who will be your ultimate good for all of eternity? Two um, specific suggestions. The first is to think often about your death and about the life to come. Think often about your death and the life to come. How often do you put yourself in the rich man's shoes? How often do you remind yourself that tonight could be the last night on this earth and that at the next moment you could be standing before the judgment seat of Christ, giving an account to your Savior of how you use the possessions that he gave you? Friends, I think there is a great and a good sobriety that comes from remembering the principle that Christ taught in this parable. 
that all of us are merely stewards, and at any moment we can be called into account to give a reckoning of how we use the possessions that God freely gave us. In addition to thinking about your death, how often do you allow yourself to think about the life to come? If we had continued reading in Luke chapter 12, Christ continues his teaching on how his people are to use his possessions. His conclusion, or one of his conclusions at the end of chapter 12, is to remind his children that it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Don't worry about the things of this life because there are much better things to come. Don't worry about the kingdom of this earth because there is a a heavenly kingdom to come. You are Christ, and Christ will not let you go. God has promised that he will give Christ an inheritance of all things, and as a member of Christ, you too will possess all things if indeed you are in him. Fighting the covetousness of this life comes when we understand that there are much better promises and there is a much better good in the life to come. I think a second very practical application that comes from this passage is the call to freely give of our possessions. Freely give of our possessions. Also in Luke chapter 12, Christ tells his followers this. He tells us to sell our possessions, to give to the needy, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I think one of the most concrete ways that the Christian faith is played out with regard to our possessions is measured in how we use them and how we spend them. The example of our Savior was in giving eternal riches up to come and live as a man among us. Christ gave everything. How regularly and sacrificially do you give to those in need? How often do you push yourself to give of the material possessions that God has given you? Do you spend as much in giving as you spend on your own pleasures? Friends, the the reminder from Christ in this parable is a sober one. And we often do stray into the folly and the temptation of this world to covet the things that pass away and to covet the things that last. But we do have a great and glorious Christ who is a great treasure and who is also a great and glorious Redeemer who promises to forgive those who have turned from their sin who come to him. So it is in his grace and the hope of his perseverance that we pursue the material possessions of this life towards the end of the kingdom of God. Let's pray that we lay up treasures in heaven and not resort to the folly of this earth. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for your word which is so good and so rich. We thank you for its reminder that we constantly need to hear. Lord, we thank you for the teaching that you give us on material possessions and the the clear, direct instructions, the balm to our soul, the reminder that Christ is the ultimate good. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be good stewards of the possessions that you give us. Lord, I pray that we would be rich towards God, that we would invest much in eternity. And Lord, I pray that that message would be a message that is is clearly seen by those that don't understand um, the heart that you have given us. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.